بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد رسول کریم اما بات الحمد للہ حدرمی And then when they were told to take his body respectfully out because the ground wasn't suitable, inside the lahat, they saw a brilliant light and his blessed body was not there. But there's another report. In Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 4, page 363, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 5, page 534 of the New English Translation, Sayyidina Abu Huraira, radiyallahu, he added, We then dug a grave for him with our souls without making a lahad inside. After burying him and proceeding further, one of the companions said, We dug a grave without making a lahad within it. We then returned to make the lahad, but were unable to find the site of the grave. So, there seems to be a contradiction. In the hadith yesterday, It mentions that they dug a lahad for him. This report from Abu Huraira radiyallahu said that we didn't make a lahad for him. So we buried him in a normal six foot grave. Then afterwards we thought we should have dug a lahad for him. Then when they dug to see, respectfully take the body out, there was nobody there. So can you reconcile? And the response is, that Allah Dala knows best. What we can say safely is, it doesn't affect any of the miracles. And also what's interesting from the hadith of Abu Huraira, he said, we dug a grave for him with our swords. So obviously this shows how simple they were living. They didn't have, you know, spades. And so the fact that you're digging a grave with a sword shows how supremely fit they were as well. And Abu Huraira was one of them. So this narration indicates that on their return, they could not locate his blessed grave. Indeed, Abu Huraira added, Allah, when he passed away, we buried him in soft sand, but we had not gone far when it occurred to us that wild animals would come and eat the body. We therefore returned, but could not find him anywhere. This is recorded in Tabarani in his Sagheer, Tabarani in his Ausat, Tabarani in his Kabir. Al-Haythami in Majma Az-Zawaid, volume 9, page 376, comments upon the chair of narrators. Abu Nu'im in his Delay al-Nubu'a, page 208. Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 5, page 533 of the New English Translation. So again, Abu Huraira adds here, radiyallahu, what was their concern? Their concern was because the, the ground was soft. They thought maybe a predator would dig up and kind of disrespect the body of Sayyidina Al-Allah. But when they returned, they couldn't find the body. So note, the miracle is established clearly. So, let's take a few lessons from this, <coughs> these blessed reports. So, the first, the raising of the dead youth 
by virtue of the mother's dua. Like I mentioned yesterday, this was the first thing that Anas witnessed already alone. So now the power of the mother's dua, there's a report, and there was a famous scholar of the Quran called Hafiz Zamakshari. He is a famous commentator of the Quran. And he had lost one of his legs to gangrene. So they asked him, they goes, dear Sheikh, you know, why, how did you lose your leg? So he said, oh, it was my mother's dua. So they're inquisitive, they goes, your mother made a dua that you lose your leg? He goes, no. He goes, when I was young, he goes, I saw a bird and the bird was stuck in some foliage. So I went towards it, trying to take it out without harming it. But unfortunately, he goes, one of his legs got injured. My mother saw this and she said, whoever's done this, may Allah do the same to him. Then Hafiz Al-Makshari, they said, as I grew older, he goes, one day I had a pain in my, in my leg. So I, I went to the physicians and the physician said, we got some bad news, it's, it's gangrene. <laughs> so he goes, okay, what do you need to do? He goes, we have to operate because we're going to have to basically take your leg off. If you don't, you'll die. So they operated on him and he goes, this is how my leg was taken. So what does this indicate? The mother, did she want her son to be harmed? She just thought, who's ever done that to that bird? May Allah do the same to him. So this shows the power of the mother's dua. And it indicates you have to be very, very careful when it comes to your mother. And also Juraj. You know the famous incident of Juraj, when he was in his hermitage, his mother came and he was praying. And his mother found the door locked. So she asked permission. She goes, Juraj, if you're in there, open the door. So Juraj said, I'm praying. So he thought, I can't break my prayer. So the mother leaves. The next day, as fate would have it, he's praying again. Mother comes, Joe's locked again. So she goes, Juraj, if you're in there, open the door. So he's thinking, Salat, mother he goes, no, can't break my Salat. Third day, Allah will, the same thing happened again. This time, the mother said, Oh Juraj, if you're in there and you haven't opened the door, may you not die until you see the face of prostitutes. Right? Then she left. Then to quote a long narration show, he was then seen. He was accused of committing adultery. He was innocent. And as he was being taken to the king, some of the prostitutes were looking from a distance and he looked at them. So they went, Astaghfirullah, because it's definitely shaitan. Right? And then they dragged him to the king. And the king goes, Juraj, we thought you was a holy person. What are you doing? He goes, what have I done? He goes, this woman says that you, you know, committed zina. And, she's, she, and then Juraj, radiyallahu said, as a child, is, is the child being born? He goes, yes. He goes, there's a child here. So the king told the mother, bring your child. The child was brought. And Juraj spoke to the child. He goes, am I your father? And the child, Allahu Akbar, goes, no. He goes, that man, there's my father. So it was a miracle. This is in Sayyid Muslim. The king then goes, oh, Juraj, forgive us. We didn't know. We thought this was that. And then he goes, what, but why did you look at those women on the way down? And he goes, oh, I remembered my mother's door. <laughs> that I'm not going to die until I see the face of prostitutes. So I smiled. <laughs> so this was a saint. <laughs> He's offering Salat. Mother goes. And then the Prophet said something amazing. The Prophet said, 
if the mother had made this dua, may he not die until he gets involved in fitna. Because he would definitely have got involved in fitna. But mother made that dua. So what does that tell you? When it comes to your mother, you don't you know, realize the value of her prayers. And you can't even use the argument, well, I'm pious. Wasn't your age pious? The second lesson from these reports. Miraculous spring emerges upon Sayyidina Allah's dua. Now what's interesting, how many different places in the world have miraculous springs Bungo? He got a Yubile Salatu Wasalam, he goes strike your foot, water, you could have a bath in it, then strike your foot, drink from it. Ismail Salatu Wasalam with Zamzam. Al Allah. So no, there's many places in the world where Allah the last cause springs to erupt because of the righteous. Third, the miraculous return of the Mujahid's camels and provisions upon Allah's dua. Everything came back. There wasn't even a thread missing. Number four. Rain descends upon Allah's dua. Number five. The miraculous crossing over the surface of the water of the Mujahids after taking a few of the choices names of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, like I mentioned off tip, note that this miracle occurred again just two short years later in 16 AH, this time under the leadership of Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas, just prior to the fall of the Persian capital, Al-Madai. So two years after this incident, it happened again. But this was in the lands of uh, Iraq, when the capital of the Persian Empire fell. Number six, the Christian monk embraces Islam upon seeing miracles and hearing the angelic assembly in the heavens. Now what's interesting, when miracles take place, how many times do non-Muslims say they heard strange sounds? Even in Gaza now, the non-Muslims are saying it because we're smelling musk and we're hearing sounds and we're seeing things and they disappear. So these are signs from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through non-Muslims and that's why many of them are embracing Islam because God's with these people. Number seven, the blessed grave of Sayyidina Allah either filled with incredible nur or not being able to be located once more. Thus Allahu Akbar. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what this must have done to the already phenomenal iman of the noble Sayyidina Abu Huraira at the time. Who was mentioned was a direct eyewitness to all of these truly miraculous events. Subhanallah. So think about it. This is coming to the eighth week we've completed of this great man's life. How many miracles has he observed? You know, think about you know the, the sessions, the miraculous pouch, the food that never ends, the drink that never ends. And now the prophet's passed away, you're thinking, okay, that, that chapter's closed now. <laughs> it's not closed. He's still seeing miracles. So his Iman, you can only dream about what level his Iman was at. But Allah was giving him these gifts. So now just to mention a bit about this companion, Sayyidina Allah ibn al-Hadrami. So you get a connection with the Allah. So Hafiz ibn Katir, he says, in his Seedah volume 4, page 498-9 of the English translation, Sayyidina Allah was a scribe of the revelation. And was from the allies of the Banu Umayyah tribe. So what's the first thing? He wrote the Quran. When Quran was being revealed, Rasulullah chose him to write the Quran. He was affiliated 
because he's from Yemen. That's why it's called Hadrami, Hadramot. But he linked with Banu Umayyah, the second great tribe of the Quraysh. He allied himself to them. He had 10 brothers apart from himself. Now what's interesting about that? Just like Rasulullah's uncles. Mm-hmm. So he was 10 brothers. He was one of them. Mm-hmm. One of his brothers was Sayyidina Shurih ibn al-Hadrami. He was from the best of the companions of Rasulullah. Because the Prophet said, He is a man who does not sleep on the Quran. Subhanallah. This is in Nasai, number 1784. Ahmad in his Musnad, number 15,297, with a Sahih chain of transmission. So, he had 10 brothers. One of them was Shuleh, radiyallahu. And what did the Prophet say about him? Because he doesn't sleep on the Quran. And what does that mean? It means he loves the Quran. He's reciting it, he's contemplating upon it, he's getting it into his life. And the Prophet said, I testify to that. That was the brother of Allah. Then Ibn Kathir said, they all had one sister and she was As-Sa'aba bint Al-Hadrami. She was the mother of Sayyidina Talha Ibn Ubaidullah, one of the ten promised paradise. So somebody goes, hang on a minute, right? So you've got the glorious ten who are promised paradise. One of them is Talha. How many people know that his maternal uncle, his mother's brother, is Al-Allah ibn al-Hadrami. <laughs> Think about that. So look how, how close he was to the great companions of the Prophet In fact, he goes, my nephew, he must have been so proud. He goes, my nephew, Talha ibn Ubaidullah, the living martyr. Then he said, Al-Allah is credited with three hadith from Rasulullah. That's all he related Three hadiths. So you're thinking, being so close to the Prophet. But you know, it's the greater the Sahaba, the less they narrated. Abu Bakr Siddiq didn't narrate many hadiths. Al-Alaq was, he wasn't because I don't narrate. In other words, he narrated three. So look what Ibn Kathir is doing. He's giving you bullet points. Why? Because you get affiliated with this great man, Radiyallah. What else do we know about? Al-Alaq, Radiyallah, Ibn Al-Hadrami. He was made the Amir of Bahrain for Rasulullah. And after him, Abu Bakr and Umar let him stay there. It has been stated that he passed away in 14 AH, which I've just narrated. But some have mentioned he survived until 21 AH, seven years more. <coughs> Sayyidina Umar replaced him in Bahrain with Abu Huraira and transferred him to Kufa. However, before he could take up his duties, Sayyidina Al-Ala ibn al-Hadrami radiyallahu passed away whilst returning from the Hajj. Thus, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was best. So let's look at this. So all of this is recorded in Al-Istiyab 2-2085, Asadul Ghaba 4-75, Al-Isaba 2-497, Al-Bidayah in the chapter on those who died in the year 21 AH. So what's strange? All of the reports I mentioned yesterday clearly indicate he passed away in whose Khalifat? Abu Bakr. Or you could push it to say, well, maybe right at the beginning of Umar. But you're pushing it. But there's another view that he passed away seven years later. 21 AH. So it's mentioned. And they say that Umar, 
took Allah from Bahrain and put Abu Huraira as the governor of Bahrain. He goes, Abu Huraira, you take his place. Then Allah was transferred to Kufa. Before he could get to Kufa, he passed away after the Hajj. So he didn't make it. So this is also, the scholars have debated this. But what seems more likely is no. He passed away early. Maybe there's another companion by that name and the narrators have got confused. But it's worth mentioning. So if anybody says, how is this man alive? Because there's a view that's true. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with Sayyidina Al-Ala ibn al-Hadrami, the blessed scribe of the divine revelation, the governor, the mujahid, the ascetic, the uncle of the majestic Talha, and forgive us all for his honorable sake. Amen. So now, Abu Huraira, he was in this army of Al-Ala. Now look how interesting. How many were there in that army? 4,000. In Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, four six so it mentions. Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiyallahu anhu traveled to Bahrain along with Allah ibn al-Hadrami radiyallahu And en route, Allah asked him radiyallahu O Abu Huraira radiyallahu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has ordered me to treat you with respect. Thus please now inform me. What responsibility would you like to take in Bahrain? Abu Huraira radiyallahu said, Give me the responsibility of calling out the azan. And also that you will not recite Amin without me when you lead the prayers. <laughs> so look how interesting. So we've got a connection with Allah. So he's one of the great companions. He's told by Rasulullah... Look after Abu Huraira. Now think about that. What about the rest of the Sahaba? What does that tell you about Rasulullah's love for Abu Huraira? He told Allah, he goes, look after him. So Allah pulled him to one side. And he goes, look, Rasulullah has told me to treat you with great love and respect. He goes, when we get to Bahrain, what would you like? Now look at his mindset. He wasn't thinking of dunya. He could have said, oh, maybe the Amir. I'll be the Amir. Or, you know, give me this land that, uh, you know, that people are acquiring. Give me a special spot. He was just thinking of Akhirat. He goes, maybe the Mu'azzin. And he said, second thing, when you lead the prayer, you must never say Amin without me. <laughs> Meaning, if you don't see me, you wait for <laughs> And he goes, and if you do start, he goes, you're going to have to lengthen that Fatiha. He goes, do not. Now, why was he so eager for Amin? Because the Prophet said that if the Ameen behind the Imam coincides with the angels, all your previous sins are forgiven. You only get that in congregations. So that's why the scholars, you know, sometimes they'll do a long Ameen. Ameen. And sometimes, sure, Ameen. Because they're trying to get that Ameen with the angels. Which one is it? Is it sure? Is it long? And if you do all of them, you're bound to get it. But nobody knows. If you, but look how precious the Salat is. You've got two opportunities of that in a loud prayer. And this indicates the loud prayer has more honor because you have to, the, you, you hear the Imam say, Fatiha, then Ami. Well, Abu Huraira goes to Allah, never say Ami without me. Make sure I'm here. But again, the mindset, this is why he was so beloved to Allah, Allah and his messenger. Adding details. In Fat al-Bari 2-217, Muhammad ibn Sinin, Rahmatullah, they said, Sayyidina Abu Huraira, remain the Mu'azzin in Bahrain. 
And he made Allah radiyallahu promise he would take his preoccupation with duties of the state into consideration when straightening the rows for salah and not to hurry to begin the salah so Abu Huraira will not be deprived of reciting Amin behind the Imam. So it's confirmed. He was the Muazzin. Now think about that. How many people know Abu Huraira was a Muazzin? You know, this is, what well, that's Bilal. And he goes, yeah, of course, he Bilal, mashallah, he was the Sayyid. But uh, he goes, oh, did he just do it like, you know, every now and again? <laughs> and he goes, well, he was the Muazzin of Bahrain. That was his duty. He goes, well, was that for the weekend? Right? And he goes, no, it was for like a year, you know, year plus. So he did Azan all that time in Bahrain. Meaning, he had a very beautiful voice. And like I mentioned, when he was a, sl- uh, when he was a servant for the people, they used to ask him to sing, to make the journey shorter. Now he's using that voice for the azan. And notice that Allah Ta'ala gives gifts, but you need to use them correctly. You see some people, they got beautiful voices. Like once Abdullah ibn Mas'ud saw this person singing. And he goes, if only he recited the Quran. And then after, that was enough. The person was told Ibn Mas'ud and he did the Tawbah. And he became a great scholar. Right? So note some people, they love the pious that much and they'll do these, these things for them. So he becomes the Mu'azzin of Bahrain and he loved it because this is what I'm here for, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After the short but most critical rule of Abu Bakr Siddiq Sayyidina Umar who thereupon took over the reins of the Khilafat. So now how old was Abu Huraira? Sayyidina Abu Huraira who was now 35 years of age. So when Umar becomes the Khalif Abu Huraira is 35. The campaigns against the superpowers thus continued and the Persians and Romans lands thus eventually fell under the swords of the majestic companions. Was Abu Huraira in these campaigns? Subhanallah. Hafiz ibn Asakir in his tarikh de Mish mentions that Abu Huraira had participated in the fateful encounter at Yarmouk. <coughs> Against the formidable Romans, subhanAllah. So now you ask a person, Yermuk, he goes, what's that? Chocolate bar, right? And then he goes, oh, you don't know about Yermuk, right? He goes, Yermuk was the, the great battle between the Muslims and the Roman, Empire, Roman powers. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So what happened? We won. <laughs> so how long was that battle? It was, it lasted six days. It was a tremendous battle. Khalid bin Walid was in charge. And to put it very simply, he did rope a So for three, four days, he let the Romans attack. You know, like a boxer just takes the punches to see how much target they've got, how much power. After the fourth day, they send a man. They go, look, we like to negotiate now. So uh, Khalid bin Walid said, no, no negotiation. The messenger goes back, he goes, now we're ready to attack. So look at the brilliance of Khalid. He goes, he, you know, he absorbed, he goes, now they're, because they're weak. When he attacked, he annihilated them. Who was in that glorious battle? Abu Huraira. <laughs> Think about that. Now, why is this important to highlight? Because he made a mistake, remember, in the battle of Mu'tah. What mistake did he make? Did he leave the Okay. Why did he leave the battlefield? In the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
So there was 3,000 Sahaba versus 200,000 Romans and the Arab allies. So Abu Huraira saw 67 to 1, he thought, oof. <laughs> right? And then what happened? Not just him, some of the others also broke away. They came back, you know, full of grief to the Prophet. The Prophet goes, it's okay. He goes, You've come back, you'll fight another day. He goes, Don't worry, you did the correct thing. He never made that mistake again. So when he saw the Romans on the battlefield of Yadmuk, he goes, Now Allah is testing me again. He goes, I'm not going to make that mistake. He never made that mistake again. So this is also important. Why? Because they're human beings, the Sahaba. You know, sometimes you talk about them, you think, Oof, they are immaculate. Goes, no, they're human beings. But when they made any error, they made sure not to make it again. So what happened? The treasures of this world now started coming in truckloads back to Al-Madinah. Now this is what's interesting. There's a report. In Ahmad in his Musnad, number 7,184, 7,478, 7,678, 8,148, 9,386, 10,502 with a sahih general transmission. Abu Huraira, the Allah, he relates and there will be no Khosro after him. Who is the Khosro? The Persian emperor. The prophet goes, they're going to perish. And there's going to be no more Persian emperors. And Caesar will perish. And there will be no Caesar after him. The Roman emperor. By the one in whose hand is my soul. You will spend their hidden treasures in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah. Who but a prophet could make that statement? Imagine when the prophet was still on the earth. What land had they taken? Just Arabia, they sort of Arabia now. Look at these statements he's making. He goes, the Persian emperor is going to perish. There's going to be no more Persian emperors. The Caesars are going to perish. There's going to be no more Caesars. Then he says, You will spend their wealth. All of their wealth is going to come to you. And you're going to spend it in the path of Allah. And who narrated that hadith? Abu Huraira. He goes, MashaAllah, right? Now Abu Huraira, he got so upset when the wealth came. Why? In Sayyid Muslim, number 1168, 1170, <coughs> in the chapter on Masajid and Places of Prayer. Ahmad in his Musnad, number 7632, Sayyid. Abu Huraira, the Allah, released the message, Whilst I was sleeping, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I was given the keys to the treasures of the world and they were placed in my hand. Abu Huraira thereupon said with grief, فَذَهَبَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ سَلَمُ وَأَنْتُمْ تَنْثِلُونَهَا Rasulullah has left us and now you are busy acquiring them. Aye, so how can that now give you any pleasure? SubhanAllah. Look how beautiful. So Abu Huraira, he narrates the hadith. What did the Prophet say? He said, I was sleeping. 
and the keys to the treasures of the world were given to me. <laughs> Imagine, the whole world, Allah Ta'ala goes, there you go, it's yours, my beloved. <laughs> Abu Huraira then grieved. So what? The people thought, why is he grieving? He goes, Rasulullah is gone. He goes, you're acquiring it. What was he really saying? He goes, how can you get enjoyment out of it? <laughs> Rasulullah was given the keys. He didn't want nothing to do with it. And then he saw the Muslims, they're celebrating, and, he's, and you can see that, you know, that ethos. He goes, how can you? And look, that showed the world didn't mean anything to him. Imagine you're getting, you know, <laughs> stuff, you're not going to put it bluntly in it. That wealth is the purest wealth on earth. The Prophet said, my rizq is under the shade of my spear. The purest rizq was Rasulullah's. He got it from jihad. So, if you get 110% halal, and somebody goes, here's 10 billion for you, Zubair. Are you going to go, oh, yeah, I'm really upset. <laughs> right? You're going to think, is it? You go 110% halal. Not 100%, 110%. <laughs> and he goes, 110%? So what's your reaction going to be? Alhamdulillah, right? You know, I'm set for life. Kids are set. Generations to come. Which one would look at you and start weeping? And then he goes, what are you weeping for? He goes, because Rasulullah was given the keys to it. But he's not here. So how am I going to get pleasure from it? So Abu Huraira was highlighting something here. He, he was showing to the Muslims, he goes, yeah, you should be happy. But if it was such a big thing, Rasulullah would have stayed with us. He, he wanted to go. So he saw something in it. He had some knowledge. He goes, this is going to cause harm. Adding details. In Ahmad in his Musnad, number 14,513. Ibn Hiban in his Sahih, number 6,364. Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid number 14,215 stated Hassan Sayyidina Jabr radiyallahu he released that I was given the keys of the entire earth which Jibreel brought to me on a piebald steed on the steed, there was a saddle cloth of fine brocade. So what does this mean? So how was the keys given to Rasulullah? The Prophet described it. He goes, Jibreel came on a horse. Piebald steel, this is a special type of horse. And he goes, I noticed that on the horse, there was a saddle cloth of fine brocade. It was a beautiful horse. And he goes, he got off, he gave me the keys. So it was a very honorable way he was given the keys. He wasn't just here, take the keys. Allah Ta'ala sent the greatest angel on one of the horses. Now what's interesting, Jibreel has got horses. So a person goes, why does he need horses? Because horses are honorable creations. He has one horse called Hayat. <laughs> Hayat. Now what is this horse? It's the horse of life. Jibreel is the angel of life. And who knew that? Who knew that was Samari? Samari knew that. So how who Samari? Samari's real name is Musa. He was Musa. He was in, he was in the time of Musa wasalam. But look how interesting. Everybody's forgotten his name. Because he ended up, Audhi Billah, deviating. So what happened? Who is this Samari? 
He was born in the year in which Pharaoh gave the orders to kill children, kill all the sons. So he was placed in a cave, Samari, and a boulder was placed, and his mother said, that's the only way I can probably save him. The child was then fed by Jibreel. He was given honey, milk, and ghee from the fingers of Jibreel. So he grew up knowing Jibreel, alayhi salatu wasalam. So he knew him very well. Later he became a companion of Musa, alayhi salatu wasalam. So there's two Musas now. One is Musa, alayhi salatu wasalam. One is Musa, Samiri. The scholars say, look at how amazing this is. <laughs> the one who was brought up by Fir'aun became a Rasul. The one who was brought up by Jibril became a Shaitan. Right? So, why is that interesting? Because if Allah doesn't want to give guidance, you can put him in Darul, you know, Chacha's off, right? He's going to come out with Kachadan, right? You know, he, nothing can save him. Why? Somebody goes, any greater than Jibreel nurturing him. And he goes, oh, he must have been a solid. No, he became a Shaitan. Subhanallah. But why am I mentioning him? Because the Quran says, that when Musa wasalam, went to get the uh, onto the mountain, Mount Tur, he left Harun behind. He goes, look after my people. And then Samiri, <laughs> Musa says, I'm coming back in 30 days. Allah added 10 days. Meanwhile, back at the camp, they're just waiting. He's not bike. 30 days. So Harun goes, look, something's happened. And he goes, no, he goes, he's abandoned us. Moses has abandoned us. So 31 days passes. So Samari goes, look, I'll tell you what's going on. He goes, you get all the gold that you've got, because they brought the gold from Egypt. So when Pharaoh was drowning, they, they took the gold. He goes, give me all your gold. He took a trench, he put all the gold in it. And then he took some sand, and he threw it onto the gold. And the, the gold ornaments turned into a golden calf. And he made a noise. He started making a noise like a cow. Ooh, like that. And then, they went, and then he goes, this is the God of Moses that you forgot. <laughs> so how did that calf come to life? Because the Hadith says that Samiri, he noticed one day Jibreel talking to Musa, <coughs> and he was on a horse. And that horse is the horse of life. Hayat. And then he watched. And when Jibreel left, he took some of the, the sand from the hooves. And he kept it with him. And then with that, he brought some sort of life to this calf. And this is what caused the fitna. So, what happened? Musa comes by. And he says, to first he told Harun, he goes, what happened? And he goes, he grabbed his beard and his hair. And he goes, oh, son of my mother. He goes, I didn't want to cause fitna. And then he goes, Samiri, what happened? And Samiri goes, oh, something tempted me, right? <laughs> so, Musa then cursed him. And he goes, he, he, got, he then got some sort of illness. But if anybody even came close to him, he'd get that illness. So he'd say, keep away from me. And he was like boycotted, you know, exiled. We don't know what happened to him. So now, why have I mentioned that report? Because the horse of Jibril is mentioned. <laughs> And the horse of life, Hayat. One of the Salaf said, he, this horse is mentioned in Surah Mulk. Mm-hmm. He created death and life 
One of the salafs said, life here means the horse of Jibreel. Death means the ram that will be slaughtered. So they're both creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here, when Rasulullah was given the keys to the world, the treasures, Jibreel came on another horse, piebald horse. Look how interesting. That's why horses are noble. Once the Prophet was seeing affectionately patting the horse, and one of the companions goes, Ya Rasulullah, you're showing more affection. Why is this? He goes, the horse complained to my Lord. And Allah has told me to look after it. So the scholars say, this does not mean that Rasulullah neglected the horse. The horse wanted more affection. So look at that. You know, Imam Malik's Mawatta, the report. So note, the horses are noble creations. Allah mentions a surah dedicated to them. وَالْعَادِيَاتِ dabha, وَالْمُورِيَاتِ karha, وَالْمُغِيلَاتِ subha. And it sounds like panting, you know, it's, because he's talking about horses. By the snorting runners which strike fire with their hooves, which attack at dawn and raise dust. It's, it's talking about the horses. And why does Allah talk about the horses in the Quran? Because they go straight into death. They listen to you, they obey you. He goes, Allah is saying, can't you be like them with me? Horses, imagine, in the battle of Yarmouk, straight into the Romans. They don't start saying, I'm going to marry this too many years, right? Straight into the Romans. Allah goes, look, horses listen to you better than you listen to me. So Allah is mentioning nobility about the horses. And also there's a weak hadith to finish. But the Prophet, he loved women, i.e. his wives and daughters, and then he loved horses most. Right? The noble creation. And look what sadly what they use for now, horse racing. There's nothing wrong with horse racing as long as it's a jihad train up for the gambling and stuff. So Lord here, Abu Huraira grieved when the treasures of the world were opening up because the Rasulullah had gone. So all I mentioned today was where the great name of Abu Huraira is mentioned during the Khalifat of Abu Bakr and now moving into the Khalifat of Umar. And I mentioned briefly, he participated in the major campaigns, showing that he never made the same mistake again. And also the grief when the treasures of the world opened up. Are there any questions? Subhanallah <laughs>